0: The Ruando podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit ruando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book Infinite Play and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. And we are live. It's been I think it's been over a month since I did one of these. Um, very excited to be back. It's been kind of a crazy morning. It's been kind of a crazy couple of weeks for myself. Um, but today we're speaking about the father nature and. Something I've wanted to speak for about for a while, I mean, it's also, we could, I'd say, synonymous with the king archetype. I've referenced it in a few other um, episodes, um, specifically around power and responsibility and uh, the masculine archetype's role in society. We're going to be referencing, as I've been, uh, it's kind of my kick this year. Uh, I mean, last year was like I was all about Jungian psych. This year I'm really into Timothy Leary and Robert Anton Wilson's Eighth Circuit Consciousness model of the, of the mind. But anyway, uh, the father nature of the king archetype uh, is greatly attached to the fourth stage. And I'll, I'll define all of this in the episode, of course. Um, but I think it's a thing that is particularly lacking in, I'd say, society, but also men's development in particular, or I should say, uh, individual men's development. I'm not talking about the industry necessarily, although I think it's lacking to um, I think there's certain forces, societal forces, in recent generations, particularly with the internet that have kind of stunted certain uh, growth um, for many men, and even for women who also need to access their masculine archetype. King archetype and the queen archetype are not that different. We'll speak about it mostly from the male archetypal perspective. So, um, I mean, quick announcements. If if you are curious, I don't know if anyone cares about what's going on in my personal life, but basically uh, a couple weeks ago, almost a month ago, um, I moved into this amazing hotel Um, There's this hotel that's been on the market. It's been empty since COVID. Um, My friends and I uh, moved in. It was dirt cheap. We had this incredible, like magical hotel to ourselves. It was like an eight bedroom. It was more of like a bed and breakfast, had a river uh, flowing through. It was amazing. But apparently we found out after we moved in, excuse me, that um, there's a Thai owner. He rented it to a Chinese person, to Airbnb. The Chinese person didn't make any money because of COVID. There's no tourism. So he leased it to another Chinese person. He leased it to another Chinese person who rented it to us for dirt cheap. The Thai owner had no idea. He shows up to his place one day and and we've moved in. And he got really upset that we moved around his hotel furniture to make it livable and uh, that we're paying no rent. So I ended up getting evicted. I mean, evicted might be a harsh word. I ended up getting kicked out. Same thing. um, About like a week into moving in. So... Uh, that's what the mo- main reason why I've rescheduled this episode so many times. I was supposed to do it, I think, three weeks ago or two weeks ago. Had to reschedule for moving in, had to reschedule for moving out. But here I am in a new place. I kind of have this janky setup. You can see this. Uh, if you're watching the live stream of the video, there's a disassembled bed behind me because I just made a makeshift office this morning. Anyway, uh, last announcement. I mean, it's the only announcement. Um, back on the podcast, we have episode 92 with Harrison Schultz, Dr. Harrison Schultz, coming out on Thursday. This came up because um, with a lot of the political discussion uh, that I try to avoid, but I, you know, I like observing from a, a sociological perspective, um, there's a lot of uh, us versus them in the United States especially right now. And I really wanted to create kind of a debate series where <clears throat> um, uh, we can get both sides of the argument in a clean way. And I, I had this idea to create something called an intellectual cage match, which would be a debate with an MMA gimmick Um, where I put head-to-head two people with opposing viewpoints. Anyway, that ended up falling through. I still might do it, but it's not going to happen now. Um, But I decided to have uh, my liberal friend, my very liberal friend, who's um, active in Occupy Wall Street and can articulate uh, what I would consider extreme or, like, we could say radical leftist viewpoints in a way that I actually enjoy uh, speaking with, even though if I don't agree with everything. So anyway, that episode should come out this Thursday. And I guess the last bit, the masculine archetype class is still half off because, with all this moving, my um, friend who's redoing my website is also um, moving around with me, so she hasn't been able to finish it. So, uh, as I mentioned in many episodes ago, um, my course is half off because the website's going to change pretty soon. Anyway, <clears throat> so I was speaking about the father nature. Um, so, the father nature or the king archetype it is a necessary stage in, um, I would say, specifically a man's development. Um, Uh, Of course, we all have a masculine archetype within us, the testosterone-driven set of characteristics, but the king archetype is a specific stage that activates a little bit later in life. Um, And by later, I don't mean like in old age, I mean during puberty. So to reference um, the Eighth Circuit Model of Consciousness, which I will be coming back to in this episode, in case you didn't catch the episode on Prometheus Rising, where I really dig into this stuff, Um, Timothy Leary, who is the Harvard professor who... Uh, was one of the first people to experiment with LSD. He was um, friends with uh, Ram Dass, Richard Alpert. Um, he had this this viewpoint. as a psychology professor. He had this structure of um, evolution of consciousness within an individual that maps to evolution of consciousness within life. Which which also you know ties into a lot of the episodes we've done on the Jungian um, progression, like Eric von Neumann's uh, Eric Neumann, excuse me, Eric Neumann's uh, thesis was the same. Um, so anyway, what, what what this means for an individual man who's evolving or trying to become the best version of himself, uh, the most actualized version of himself, the king archetype is a stage that um, we have to go through. It's actually, you know, it's, it's, supposed to be, it's supposed to activate, in a sense, during puberty for us to become complete individuals. Now, in the Prometheus Rising episode, I spoke about these first four uh, circuits of consciousness. They're They're the four animal circuits that... Um, according to Leary and at Robert Anton Wilson, uh, this is what every person in society has to some degree, even though most people operate on like the First Circuit and the Second Circuit. People who are constantly anxious are usually in the First Circuit, or uh, extreme, I mean, a lot of left-leaning politics is First Circuit, a lot of right-leaning politics, which is like the toddler circuit is Second Circuit. But we all have access to the Third Circuit, which is language, the Fourth Circuit, which is our uh, socio-sexual roles. The king archetype and the father nature is an expression of this fourth circuit uh, for a man in a nuclear family or a man in a tribe. Um, this, this is you know th- that's what a king is to the tribe. A king is to the nation. He is the father figure for this greater family. Um, now, the reason why this, I'm bringing this up and it's so important. Because I, I even brought this up in the porn addiction episode. It's that uh, it's a necessary stage. These first four circuits. Even though they're the more animal circuits, quote-unquote, and there's, there's more to evolve consciousness-wise beyond this, people who don't ever express this usually get stunted. They get trapped here. So um, a man who doesn't get to access his king archetype can't really move beyond it. Obviously, there's much more to human consciousness and human experience than... Um, than being a father, right? Not everyone has to be a father. I'm not saying that anyone should be, but the ability to be, the ability to preside or protect the realm or, or you know, be a king of your household or be a king within your own reality is critical for moving beyond it, because if you don't, uh, you'll get stuck. And I think this is a, a problem in, in millennial and younger generations, and I, I blame the Internet and consumerism and consumerism heightened by the Internet is that the Internet is such a uh, has overloaded our, our third circuit, which is our semantic circuit, our language, our information circuit, um, which is also uh, um, is responsible for progress. Uh, so it's not a bad thing, but we've been so overloaded with this is that many men, I'd say men my age and younger, especially younger Are kind of stuck in third circuit consciousness, and they never get to the pubescent circuit, which is where the king archetype and the father nature lives. So I'd actually say, in some ways, we've regressed. Leary and Wilson would often speak about how everyone in society has the fourth circuit, and only like the particularly evolved gets a five through eight. Um, But I'd actually argue that we've, in in some ways, because of the overloading of the third circuit, many men have gone. Or haven't even reached their uh, fourth circuit, and you can see this in man children. And I talk about this a lot with like the infantilization of um, post-internet young adults, where we many of us feel like kids. A lot of people and uh, act like children even into their thirties or forties, or even if they have children, they still feel like a child. Um, this is not a good thing, and I think it's, it comes to like a very deep existential issue where. Jordan, Peter- I think it's actually one of the reasons why Jordan Peterson has become particularly uh, um, popular in this in this era because he speaks from a king archetype perspective. He speaks to the king archetype that's usually underexpressed in young men these days, um, and and I think a lot of men, even though he's saying stuff that maybe we thought are are boring uh, when we were younger, or like. Typically, the youth rebels against this idea of making their bed and taking responsibility. Men of my generation and younger, I mean, if you have grew up with the internet, this probably applies to you to some degree, where um, on a deep-rooted level, even though it's not comfortable, we recognize that we can't really be happy without struggle. We can't really be happy without uh, taking responsibility for things. Um, it's not actually fun to be a child in, in your mind in your 30s or 40s or later, or even in your 20s. Uh, biologically, we're supposed to be able to be fathers in our in our post puberty. Anyway, so that's why this is so critical because it is it is a um, in order to evolve and actualize, we need to express this. So, um, so all right, this has kind of gotten lost in society because, um, as I think I mentioned, the father wound episode. Um, traditionally, in post agricultural, pre agricultural society, we had these rites of passage. A boy would uh, grow up with the other kids and, in, in, the, in the realm of women, uh, mostly attached to the, his mother and the mothers of the tribe. Around puberty, he's abducted by uh, the men of the tribe, um, taken into, into some sort of hardship where he's challenged physically, emotionally, and mentally for two purposes. One is to force the boy to grow up and show him that he does not need to rely on mother anymore. He does not need to rely on softness or comfort. Uh, and this is this is something that I think this this uh, this lack of rites of passage in our society is why so many people have anxiety growing up. Anxiety is like an infant level experience. Not to say that is you know we all experience it no matter what at, at times, but it's an infant level experience that happens when you haven't really uh, expressed uh, the higher levels of consciousness, you should say. Um, but the second purpose of the rites of passage is that um, as the boy develops, you know his his. Uh, his genes flip a, flip a switch that have him produce a ton of testosterone. His body changes. He becomes stronger. He becomes more aggressive. He becomes more powerful and confident. He needs um, society for society to function. Uh, it's important that a super, a super physically strong and potentially aggressive individual, which is what a teenage boy is or a teenage young man is, um, he, we need to make sure that he doesn't use his powers to harm the tribe. Right? He doesn't go around raping and pillaging uh, members of his tribe. So the uh, the rites of passage humbled the the young man, um, showed him that he does need the tribe and he his his power, his purpose is to serve the tribe in some way like his ability to swing a hammer or an axe or chop trees or hunt things or kill things or or fight things is best used and is most fulfilling when in service to the tribe in connection to the collective. obviously there are Negatives potentially uh, with this, like for instance if you if your soul is calling you to be a painter, but you you were born into ancient Sparta, where you have to become a warrior, maybe the collective purpose or the collective role assigned to you doesn't fit who you are. However, a lot is lost on the other end. I mean in modern society, at least in the West, you get this message, you could be whatever you want, but with without any um responsibility or reason or um, any sort of constraint. A lot of people are like, I can be anything I want, I can do anything, but I don't know what to decide, and they end up in this man-child Peter Pan zone, where they're afraid to collapse the wave function of all their possibilities and pick something and do something. And, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson references this a lot. You kind of just have to pick something and stick with it, and that's kind of uh, where a lot of conservative, conservative ethics come from. It's like, yes, you can be everything, but you can't be everything, so pick something. Anyway... Um, So uh, the fourth circuit is about socio-sexual roles, Um, a lot of our social roles, um, whether it's in a primitive society where it's just like, okay, men do this and women do this, or in a complex society like modern day where we have specific functions um, in a neighborhood, each family, each person has a function, in a company, people have very specific roles, Um, these have all um, evolved off of sexual roles. Um, I flushed this out a little bit more in the Prometheus Rising episode. I want to stick on the king archetype stuff, so I'm not going to go through that. But a lot of this going from lover to parent, going from let's say typical uh, young man who's like trying to sow his wild oats um, to like being a, a man who's committed to one situation, whether it's a monogamous nuclear family or or something uh, more tribal and uh, less monogamous, um, being able to commit to something and have responsibility somewhere. Is where this king archetype activates, and um, and yeah, I think this is this is the root of this crisis that a lot of men feel existentially. When like you know, a lot of guys I speak to now, um, they maybe are, are doing okay in their dating life, and like they, they have a job that's okay, and like everything is good. They don't have like any major problems, but they have this uh, like we call it a spiritual crisis or existential crisis where they're missing meaning. And I think again, it comes down to. Uh, for a man to feel fully expressed, he has to find his realm to protect and serve and um, preside over. And and so we're going to speak a lot about power and responsibility. I actually want to flip this because I think when people think of king, they think of um, tyrant, um, someone who takes power for self-serving purposes. I would argue, as I'm going to go into later in this episode, that actually leaves the same kind of existential gap. Um, the, what fills the gap is is service. So I'm gonna say tell a short story about how or where I first like recognized this and why I think a lot of this at least my perspectives are are uh, based on instinctual paradigms rather than like ideology. But who knows? I mean, I can only see what I see. But so when I was 28, um, I was in kind of a weird transition, a bit of an existential uh, period where, if you caught my cult episodes, I had gone on this journey. Uh, into this matriarchal cult. I'd found myself in certain ways. I'd lost certain parts of myself. Things have gotten confused. I was in a, a very uh, not healthy financial state. I ended up leaving in a lot of debt. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life because I had this bad taste in my mouth about personal development and money. And I um, trying my hand at being a screenwriter for a bit. I worked on one film. It was okay. I was kind of planning on um, saving up some money, driving a cab in New York, and then going to L.A. In this last summer, I had in New York... I met this great girl, um, woman, girl. Uh, and we had this pretty, pretty casual relationship because I, I told her like on our first date, like, hey, I'm planning on leaving New York in a few months. So, and she was cool with it. We had this pretty chill relationship. We'd hook up, we'd laugh, we'd hang out. As far as far as uh, anyone could tell, no strings attached. And, um, but I, of course, you know, not of course, but I ended up uh, developing feelings for her. I actually uh, went on this trip a few weeks into seeing her to L.A., Ended up uh, hanging out with Brian, um, Brian from um, Fearless. I'm sure many of you guys are familiar, and um, he uh, he invited me to speak. I had this idea of like, oh, maybe I could get back into coaching. I really enjoy this stuff. And anyway, with this woman, I was seeing. I was supposed to. I was flying back to New York on a Friday, and I remember this clearly because I, I booked a ticket for September 11th because the the flights were really cheap that day. Um, And I was supposed to see her on on Saturday, which was September 12th. But for some reason, while I was in the cab to LAX, I was like, I have to see her right now. I don't know why, but there's something like deep in me. Like I have, and it wasn't like horniness necessarily. It was like, I really was like longing, like every cell in my body had to see her. So even though we had plans for the next day, I went straight from JFK, straight to her apartment. Uh, We ended up making love and like that. And looking back, uh, well, figured out later that I had gotten her pregnant on that night. And... um, it was kind of a shocking, I mean, of course, it was a shocking thing. Um, she, we, she had used birth control, but some, for some reason, it just didn't work, won't get into it. But um, something that this, this point was a huge shift in my mind, where perhaps through lacks of, of rites of passage, I'd never like, even in remotely identified with the king archetype or the father nature, like I kind of wanted to have kids at some point in life. But like, I was such in boy mode, that like the idea of of ever fathering a child, even though I was 28, you know, I was a grown man, uh, and part of it was like, part of it was just the way I had been living, part of it was I didn't have any money, um, part of it is I didn't know what my direction in life was, but it was so far away from my ideas that I could ever be a father. And what, one of the things that actually inspired me to make this uh, episode was that a lot of the guys I've been speaking to recently, guys who had recently joined the archetype class and stuff, um have been like my age, sometimes older, sometimes a bit younger. And um, I've heard this a lot from guys where I, you know, I'll ask them what their future is. Sometimes they'll say married, sometimes they'll say kids, sometimes they won't. But a lot of men will speak to me and say, I, it's like, it seems unreal for me to have a child. Um, And just, it just doesn't feel like it it could be a possibility. And I've even spoken to guys with kids who, 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 with actual children, like they actually had her father, and they're just like, hey, I don't feel like a father. Like, I feel, I still feel like a child. Like, I still talk to my parents like I'm a kid. Like, it's, it just doesn't seem right. And to me, this feeling comes down to this um, underexpression of this archetype. Anyway, to finish my story, uh, she told me after, I mean, uh, she started to become distant. I was like, oh man, I guess uh, maybe I came on too strong. Maybe she wants to cut things off before we get attached. Anyway, I, I, I kind, of, kind of confronted her one night uh, to basically like, hey, what's going on? Like, do you want to just stop seeing each other? Because she had become distant all of a sudden. She told me she was pregnant. Uh, she was planning to get an abortion. So in her words, she said, like, don't worry, I'm getting an abortion. But that night, it was a very strange experience for me because I slept next to her, realizing that in her, in her body was my DNA. And if we just waited nine months, a child would be born and it would be, it would be ours. And I know, you know, I mean, I'm sure some of the, many of the people listening to this probably have kids or, you know, and so like a lot of this, this maybe seems obvious, or maybe this, maybe this is what everyone experiences the first time they um, have a child, or or maybe this is a surprise pregnancy. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying this is a unique experience, but it was a very strange experience. It was the first exp- time I've ever felt something like this, where there was something beyond myself that was so important that I would organize my entire life around it. And I think that's one of the, the shifts from being a boy to being a man is that life stops becoming about you only um so anyway uh she decided to get the abortion um and it really i was i was shocked at how much it ate me up inside part of it was that i really liked her part of it was like i recognized in that moment with the reality of like we could have a child together that uh i did really want to have kids and i you know i still want to have kids uh, when the time is right the person is right um and, uh, you know, and I I grew up, you know, I I grew up in New York, so I'm I'm quite liberal in general. I've always been pro-choice. I've always thought if I ever get someone pregnant, especially by accident, uh, hopefully she'll get an abortion and, and that'll be that. But I never considered like the reality of ending a life. And it's not to say that I'm now pro-life or that people, you know, I still think people should be able to make the choices, especially the woman because she's carrying it. Um, but what, what shifted my perspective was that I realized like, it doesn't matter when conception, when life happens, whether it's conception or birth, who cares? What, what actually is the reality of it, if you, if you drop uh, the terminology and uh, you know, abstractions, is that if we just did nothing, this bundle of cells would turn into a human being which would live an entire life story, which would have an entire um, set of experiences highs and lows they'd have an effect on me on people in the world they would do things great things maybe or terrible things they would have an entire lifetime of experiences and by having this abortion this this being would never have those experiences these experiences would never be had and like that that kind of like it it it, it took this experience for me to have that perspective and and realize that um Yeah, I mean, this was like a very grave thing. This wasn't a casual thing. At least, you know, for me, it wasn't a casual thing. But she had the abortion anyway, stopped seeing each other, I ended up uh, leaving New York and doing what I intended, which I am grateful for that, that this happened. I'm not saying it would have been good to have that child. But it definitely shifted something in that, one, I was extremely embarrassed that I was not in a place that I could support a child. Like this was like a it wasn't it was more than an ego embarrassment if like oh i don't make enough money it was like this was like man i'm like it, it felt like something beneath my uh ideology where it felt like this instinctual like true natural thing like in terms of natural law like i was not i was not living up to where i was supposed to be in regards to nature in, in my relationship to nature and uh and it actually becoming an inflection point where because I never ever wanted to be in a situation again where I could not provide for a child, I started taking my work much more seriously. I mean, up to that point, I'd been pretty poor, living in New York, trying to make it as an artist or something like this, uh, and it was always about, like, can I make enough money for myself? But once I started shifting of, can I make enough money, can, can I be a person who could actually provide, not only financially, but emotionally, uh, securely, um, You know, can I actually be a role model to a young human growing up, it shifted a lot of things for me, and I would say I grew up in those in those couple of months in a in a, a big way. I mean, my my business grew a lot in that ex, in that experience. Like my my viewpoints changed a lot. I, I definitely became much more responsible, and in that experience, I developed a lot more personal power than I had ever had before. Which is why I feel so strongly about speaking about this. Even if you never care to have children, I don't, you know, I'm not saying I even know anything about child rearing, but there is something about this king archetype that requires some sort of activation by thinking beyond yourself. Um, yeah, so cut through. And uh, it was a, what did I write here? Yeah, and it needed a bigger reason than myself. And I, and I would say, you know, this is true for a lot of people who are only thinking of themselves. I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, if you're broke or if you're lonely or if you have some sort of other acute, you know, what we would call a pain point, you want to solve it. I and mean, that's a great reason to start a hero's journey. It's like, I, I want something for myself that I don't have. That's fine. But at some point, uh, and I see this in a lot of uh, men who've been working on themselves for a while, if you don't switch from, I need this to fix myself to, I, I want to do this for other people. You're always going to have this missing, like this, this hole in your, in your uh, desire or your need um, or experiences. So <clears throat> uh, let's see. Um, yeah, anyway, I mean, uh, I know not everybody wants to have kids, but there's something in me that recognized like on a deep, like on the most primal biological uh, sub-ideology consciousness uh, level, <clears throat> nothing matters more than being able to provide for others. That's why we exist, we are social animals. And you know, I referenced this in the um, overcoming um, compulsive behavior and porn addiction episodes, because a lot of those addictive behaviors come from this uh, perception of isolation and separation of like, I need enough for myself and it's me against the world. And that, that, that in, because it's such a terrifying and unfulfilling reality to live in, people become very prone to doing things compulsively to like keep trying to fill this hole that can never be filled. Whereas the solution, very often, and very often, like porn addiction, especially, uh, causes an oxytocin deficiency, like a lack of connection in our bodies. Like we need more connection with other people, and it can be tracked by the hormone oxytocin being deficient. Doing things to raise your oxytocin usually takes away compulsive behavior, gives you more meaning, takes away the spiritual malady, as referenced in my um, twelve like step programs. All right, so I'm gonna we're gonna go into like three or four things that I feel help one. Um, activate this king archetype? Well, first thing to understand is that again, I'm not an expert on parenting, but I speak to a lot. I've spoken to many people intimately about their, their childhoods and growing up. And, um, it's my very strong opinion that the only thing that really matters in terms of becoming a, a quote unquote good parent or doing the best by your child is your own, uh, emotional security. And, uh, You know, in this father wound episode, I spoke about the father wound, which is like the shortcomings of your paternal upbringing that affect you uh, from the child's perspective, right? Like many men have a father wound where their father didn't fill in a gap. Like, What was that exactly? It was um, some sort of insecurity, something that needed some wound, perhaps that needed to be healed. And the father, he didn't deal with it. So whether he meant well or not, it affects the child. And you see this a lot in in like um, whether a parent means well or not. Obviously, there's like complete deadbeat parents. And I would argue that the deadbeatedness, the lack of caring, comes from them living in some sort of isolated reality where they don't care enough about their child, and that has them mistreat their child or be negligent or do anything uh, bad. But I'd say the other end of it, there are many people who are insecure, but they mean really well. I mean, this is kind of the root of nice guy syndrome. Like you mean to be good, but you're so insecure that comes out in ways that are not actually uh, beneficial to other people. Same thing. I mean, nice guy, the nice guy dad or the nice dad syndrome is a thing. Or you know, see this in. in both gender parents um, all the time, um, where a parent means really well. Like they maybe they read all the the how to be a good parent books. Um, they do all these things. They become super active, I and mean, this is what a helicopter parent is. They become very active in the child's life. Um, to the but they're acting through their insecurities, just like with nice guy syndrome. They're acting through their insecurities. So even though if they mean well, they think oh, I'm doing the best thing by my child by like making sure they're safe? And it actually bleeds into the child unconsciously, and in either the child becomes the same type of insecure or they, they act, um, uh, in total opposite. Like, you know, if you're, if uh, you see like if your dad was a nice guy, sometimes you become a nice guy too. Or sometimes you see guys who are like super assholes. Like they're like, you're like, why is this guy such a dick? Like, why is he such a hard ass? And then you meet his father or you hear about his father. Or, you know, if I'm coaching him, I, he tells me about his dad. And he's like, Oh, well, that's why because his dad was so soft in order to compensate for that. He had to become a huge dick. You see the opposite as well. Like, uh, a lot of nice guys, uh, their fathers were, were jerks. They Their father was an insecure person. He, his, he expressed his insecurity by beating a, beating the mom or something. So the son grows up and like, well, I'm never gonna ever do anything hostile to anyone. Um, so they become this super nice guy um, who is still acting through the same insecurity but in an opposite way. So the first thing, and I think this is true for every kind of social interaction, in order to healthily uh, express the king archetype, uh, one must deal with their insecurities, and you know, there's um, the thing is important. It's like it's not really about intention. It's about whether or not you've actually dealt with the behavior that are the root of the behavior that's causing this this negative experience in others. And you know, um, yeah, I spoke about anxiety passing on. And um, I would say the someone asked me recently. Someone I was coaching in the archetype class recently asked me like how, how, like what, what are like the principles of overcoming social anxiety? Because he was dealing with that. And one of the things I told him was to develop competence in something you like. Um, this is one of the, you know, and we're going to talk about the warrior archetype in a second and how it relates, but that's, that's the root of the warrior archetype. Like, you're really good at something. You know, in pre-agricultural societies, it might have been like every man had to be good at hunting. Or he had to be good at putting up tents or whatever. Um, but when you develop true competence in something, you always have that to, to fall back on of like, well, I'm, I'm really useful. And it's not about being good at something like, oh, I'm better at everybody. It's like, I'm really useful to people. I've done this thing, you know, whether it's building something or making something or helping people. Like I'm, I found this way where I, it's, I'm not, it's, more, it's more than just my intention. It's great to have good intentions to help people. But the real security comes from I've actually developed this competency in a way that I know I'm bringing value to people. And, you know, this is, uh, I think a big root of imposter syndrome as well, where, where people doubt their competence. Anyway, that's one of the, the key ways. And I'd say for men, especially, I, I speak about this periodically, one of the lowest hanging fruit for mental health and developing security is to strengthen your body, to work out, to exercise, to be physically healthy, to be physically fit. Because even though, uh, we are in a stage of, uh, society where most men don't ever have to really do anything physical like most of us work on computers we we operate through circuit three of like just throwing words around in the electronic media world um our our instincts haven't don't know what the internet is like our our animal consciousness doesn't know what all this stuff is um and for men for anyone driven largely by testosterone and has androgen receptors which affect your behavior affect your mood and your mental health. Um, to be physically weak, it's like very hard to feel confident when you're physically weak. And it's not about getting into fights or anything. But I'd say, you know, one of the things I think develops real security in men or anyone testosterone driven is just knowing whether or not, you, like knowing how to fight or knowing how to protect yourself or feeling strong. Like that in itself creates so much security in people that if, if, you, if you're dealing with any sort of mental health, emotional issues, I think it's crazy to not strengthen your body. Uh, there's many workout programs that work, just pick something and, and do it. And people who are prone to anxiety, I've found I speak to a lot of people prone to anxiety. They also uh, have this huge aversion to working out. And I think there's something in there where, uh, a, a typical man kind of knows that if he really strengthens his body, it's hard to feel like a little bitch at the same time. Um, and not, not always the case, not to say that, you know, meatheads are enlightened or anything, but I think that's very true. But the, the next principle with the king archetype is that before one can really fulfill or a step into the king archetype, uh, it's important to have adventures. It's important to to, um, uh, to experience the warrior archetype. And not to say that, you know, I, I mean, I don't always speak about a Gillette and Moore's king, warrior, magician, lover set. I think, I mean, it's not a bad perspective. I think it's uh, a little simplistic when it comes to archetypes. But um, the warrior archetype comes before the king archetype. Uh, you know, We can see that in you know mythologies or stories. The warrior kings were a warrior first, and then they become a king. If you look at Game of Thrones, Robert Baratheon was a, a hero on the battlefield, and that's how he became king. And that's how he got the respect, and that's how traditionally, throughout history, people have chosen their kings on, on on a badass person who's done a lot, who's accomplished a lot, and now we trust him because he's accomplished a lot. For someone to step into a king role, whether it's a leadership position, a company, management, or, uh, or head of a household, or being a parent, but he's never actually experienced the warrior archetype in the sense that he's never developed competence in something that matters and gone on adventures and, and gotten to know the world, he's always going to feel insecure in his king role, even if it's given to him. Even if I mean, you see a lot of people who find meaning in their life by having children. Like they're like, oh, well, if someone is dependent on me, obviously I have, I have meaning in my life. <clears throat> and it's a very dangerous thing to do for your children. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, because you, you haven't dealt with the insecurities, and um, you know, and you can't really skip stages in, in that sense. I mean, I, I referenced this in um, the Rick and Morty archetypal analysis episode. Um, if you watch Rick and Morty, the cartoon, <clears throat> the ultimate beta male in that show, the, the archetypal beta male in that show is Jerry. Um, he's the dad in the family. Like he's never—I mean, he's never—he's always anxious. He's never developed competence in life. He's never actually done anything with life, so his teenage kids can recognize that, and like they don't respect him, right? Because he's trying to act like a king, but he's never actually—he's uh, never actually evolved past his childhood stage himself. Um. So the question is, like, how do you develop the warrior archetype before you preside into a king role, or you step into a king role? And the simple thing is developing competence and taking on challenges. I mean, a lot of the solutions to these existential problems, or these emotional issues, or these you know deep unconscious depth psychology problems, is are pretty simple. Um, and especially for um, for men, you know, taking on challenges is so critical to self esteem. I talk about the winner archetype all the time. <clears throat> when you face a challenge and you succeed on something that was genuinely uh, difficult to you, and you win something that's meaningful, you develop a level of. Uh, I mean, you also. You, your your testosterone actually spikes. It literally spikes in your body and you develop more androgen receptors, which means future winning feels even better and better. And that's how you develop self-esteem. Um, and, it's, and it's critical, you know, Zan Perion talks about this a lot and how uh, young men, and this is more the lover archetype, but young men have... Almost all young men, and many women too, have this urge to explore the world, to to know the world beyond your village. I mean, this is is the hero's journey in physical action, right? Uh, Zan talks about this and like how what young men did, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago is that they would uh, get a job on a ship. And that ship would take them around the world and get to know the world. Like this is uh, thirst uh, to know experiences. Actually, I was speaking about this uh, recently with the same guy um, about social anxiety. Um, he's basically never left a small town. I hear this from a lot of guys who like are the only um intellectually stimulated person in their small town. Uh, you know they're just in a like, they're in this social group or their family is like they're only into watching football or talking about the news or like you know they wanna they and they feel incompetent this guy in particular he felt um incompetent he felt less than because he could not live up to the social norm of his collective reference group right. Uh, they wanted to shoot the shit and talk about small talk, and he's just like he's not a small talk guy. He's a deep thinking guy. For as long as he stays in that environment, he will always feel like the wrong shaped peg for the hole. Um, and I, you know, I recommend to this to a lot of people: change your environment. It's like it's so critical to know the world, because even if you choose to come back to your small town, or come back to your old reference group, or hopefully, you know, return to your family and. Be a good member of that group. Be the prodigal son. You have to go out and know the world, right? If you've never left, and this is this is like the root of the the parable of the, of the prodigal son, the son who left and chooses to come back is rewarded more than the son who stays because uh, he actually knows what he's coming back into. Like he's he he knows the other side. I mean, this is why this is why I believe like the Amish have the room Springer. Uh, where um, I, th- I mean, teenagers are uh, recommended to spend a year out in the world and experience the world, so that when they come back to Amish society, they're doing it of their own volition. They're not there because they're they're forced to be or, or oppressed. They're they're choosing. Like, oh, this actually is better for me. And um, it's critical for being secure in your king archetype, uh, in a in a father experience, in a father role or a leader role. Um, to, to know that because it, it's, it's what you lean on when you're facing a new challenge. Like being a leader, being a parent is a different set of challenges than being a solo individual trying to make it in the world. But what gives a, a man a security when he's dealing with these new challenges of raising a young person is knowing that he's done all this other stuff. Um, you know, winning pre, uh, pre, um, success breeds success on a molecular level is uh, Dr. Charles Ryan's line. Uh, regarding the winner effect, like the more stuff you've done and more challenges you faced, the more you're, you're actually more hormonal, homo, hormonally healthy. All right. Uh, third point on this is uh, on developing the king archetype is understanding that the collective purpose of the king, and the reason why we call this expression of masculinity king archetype is, like, is that uh, actual kings of actual kingdoms would have to provide, protect, and direct right? That's that's what the king role does, right? That's what a king does or a leader does. Uh, maybe not, you know, we don't think of protection anymore, but traditionally the reason, you know, societies have banded together for security purposes and, you know, a group of 200 people in a clan or even 50 or 10 people or a thousand people or tens of thousands of people, they need a head, right? You can't have, you know, um, egalitarian societies are a great concept, but 200, I mean, more than six people are going to have a really hard time making a collective decision. It's actually better if one person uh, takes the role of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be the head of this superorganism. I'm going to be the head of this, this entire body. Um, hopefully, the body entrusts the head to make the decisions, and he's going to make the decisions. So uh, we'll talk about each piece, uh, the provide, protect, and guide, or direct. Um, the, something that's so critical in accessing the king archetype in yourself is being able to be decisive. It's a very hard thing in the modern era where very few of us, I mean, with technology and the amount of um, access to things, we all have Amazon Prime or Netflix and stuff. We have like Spotify. We have unlimited choices for so many things that in the past would be constrained by materials, right? We can do so many things. There's like unlimited things to do with your time every moment of the day. If you don't make active decisions, this part of you is going to atrophy. And a lot of people's anxiety comes from the fact of like there's too many things to do. I don't know what to do with my life. There's too many options. There's too many places to live. It's a beautiful thing, right? It's a it's a we live in a third circuit uh, playland right now where like we're not constrained by physical reality. We can like almost anything we can think we can do to some degree through the internet, if only through simulation. This is great in many ways. It's very damaging uh, in, in, or um, limiting, I should say, in the sense that the king archetype, this, third, this fourth circuit, which you know we need to pass to leave the third circuit, or I should uh, say, uh, not depend on the third circuit and move into higher levels of consciousness and in higher levels of effectiveness as human beings, um, is, is learning to be decisive and collapsing the wave function. A lot of anxiety in young men, a lot of anxiety in people. It's like, I don't know what to do with my life. There's too many options, right? Uh, hundreds of years ago, you wouldn't have that many options. Maybe you have two options. Maybe you only have one option. So you just have to do that thing. Um, there's an argument, and I, I kind of believe it now, where um, traditional arranged marriages actually are happier and healthier than chosen marriages. A lot of the times we think of this, especially in the West, we look at like Indian culture where they still, you know, some people still do arranged marriages and like, oh, well, uh, they don't get divorced because they, they have to be together. They don't actually love each other. How could two people randomly assign to each other? uh, love each other. I mean, they're not really randomly assigned in Indian culture, but like, how could two people who don't really know each other love each other? And I think there is something to when you take divorce as a possibility off the table and like, it's either get along with your spouse or don't, it kind of forces someone to open up. And this is something that is taught in in Neo Tantra a lot. where it's like you're training yourself to no matter what you're, you're closing the door to disconnection. So you have to learn how to connect. You have to learn how to love the other person. And I do believe, you know, I don't think that people should, you know, randomly pick their mates or anything, but um, if, if both parties, whoever they are, if they are fully committed to, we're going to figure out how to love each other, they usually do. Same thing with like, you know, collapsing the, the infinite possibilities in your life. If you make an active decision, if like, I'm not sure, I mean, of course there's many permutations of reality and like, I, I get stuck on this too because I want to experience everything in this lifetime. Um, not possible. I mean... In fact, I, was, I look at the periods in my life where things actually progressed in a good way very quickly. It came from being willing to cut off other possibilities and stick to one. I mean, the word decide, I mean, the word uh, if you break down the word decide, there's the suffix side, as in like suicide or homicide. Side means kill. It's like when you decide something, you're killing off the other possibilities and sticking with this one. By making decisions, you are uh, heightening or strengthening this ability to express the king archetype in yourself, the father nature. Because imagine being a head of a nation and you, you just won't make a decision of where to go. Or like a traveling band of nomads. Or like, you're, you're head of a family and you won't decide what, what the family's gonna eat, right? And it's been entrusted to you. Like, the kids aren't gonna decide. Your kids are gonna starve if you can't make a decision. Like, this is so critical uh, for your function in the world. And you think about bigger decisions of like guiding the group and, um, you know, Moses through the, to find the Promised line. All this stuff is king archetype stuff of having to make decisions uh, for the group, um, hopefully for the well being of the group. <clears throat> so that's the direct piece or the guiding piece. Uh, there's the providing piece, which, uh, you know, for me, in the story I just told, like the expression of the king archetype, and I think this is the expression of the father nature in most people, comes a lot of times um, gets tied up around money. And, uh, you know, I don't think this is a hard and fast rule, but in periods of my life where I had a lot of conflict with my actual father, where I was like really like, having to get hit with the father wound in myself my own father wound um my my ability to earn income was also very stunted like there is something around uh your parental the the or I should say the paternal or the masculine side of your upbringing does seem to map to a lot of people into a, a earning ability even if you know i mean perhaps your mother wore the pants in the house and like she was actually the the more of the father archetype to you there was something about um, testosterone being the providing uh, molecule, the providing hormone, and um, taking responsibility. And like I'd say, the thing that helped me, because like when I when I went through this abortion experience, there was like my earnings went up really high, and part of it was motivation, like to be able to provide for a hypothetical child. But like just like once this like part of my consciousness or unconsciousness was activated. I felt like I I had this greater access to, like, take responsibility for things and um, find ways to earn income and, like, not bitch out when it comes to doing work that would provide income. And, you know, I I think this all comes back to this idea of being willing to take responsibility for other people or for other things, other people. Um, There's another thing, you know, when I'm coaching a guy who feels like he doesn't have immediate problems anymore, but he has this existential crisis... The thing i always recommend is find a way to serve other people um and i think you know it's a natural thing like once you solve your own problems you want to solve them for other people like that that is the hero's journey in itself you you leave the safety of your home world go into the unconscious go on an adventure uh, learn some things grow as a person and then come back to the tribe with your lessons um that is completing that that realm in, in your psyche because what happens and where, where the anti-hero's journey happens um is where the, an- the anti-hero starts off just like a hero has a problem, maybe the problem is actually even to save the world, like Walter White, he wants to save his family, uh, goes into the unconscious, has an adventure, accesses his personal power, but instead of returning to serve other people, he's like, well, I'm just going to take more power. Like, that's the dark side of the Force, where a lot of people get lost, and that's the opposite of the king archetype. It's the becoming a tyrant, becoming that's Scar instead of Mufasa, right? Um, Scar decides to take his personal power and like hoard more for himself, which uh, just only leads to more existential crises. It's not about being good or bad. It's about like whether you or not you are, you are feeling good or bad, which tends to correlate with what most people consider morality. The last piece of this king archetype is protecting. Now, uh, I mentioned this before. Um, in the modern era, uh, we don't require like we don't require the president of the United States to physically protect us, even though he's the commander in chief, right? But there's a reason why the president is the commander in chief. It's kind of ridiculous when you think about it from a logical level. That a politician uh, who maybe has zero military experience, who's only in office for four to eight years, would be the person directing the entire military for the United States, let's say. But the reason why this all goes back to that is that this is, this is, this is very like deep stuff of the, the leader of the nation is the protector of the nation. Um, in early tribes, the, the person chosen to be the leader, the chief, the king, whatever, typically was the person who was the best at fighting. Why? Because this person, uh, you know, was responsible for protecting the group. Like he had to, like, be aware of what's going on in the entire group. He had to be the head of the organism because by being the head of the organism, he can keep keep all the sheep in line and make sure that you know the perimeters are safe and um, make decisions for the group to contribute to their survival and uh, thrive. Thriving, Thrival. I don't know if that's the word. Um, we had this uh, thread on the masculine underground group on on alpha males, and I forget exactly what you know. There's many comments on it. The thing that, that resonated to me the most was being able to be ahead of the household, being able to protect and provide and guide a group activates this piece in you. Like If you're taking responsibility for other things, you're, you're, you have power, right? Um, this is something that uh, yeah, I quote uh, my buddy Omar Pani on this a lot. A lot of people say... Um, with, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. That's kind of like the moralistic stance. But he says, if you wanna have more personal power, take more responsibility. If you take responsibility for bigger and bigger things, you will naturally have personal power because like what is power but other than, other than the ability to influence circumstances. If you take responsibility for your life, you now have power over your life. That's the whole Jordan Peterson gem about making your bed. Um, if you take responsibility for the well being of people on your team, whether or not you 're the official leader, right you take responsibility for the well being of your friends your roommates your your your, your uh, employees your boss your uh, your loved one your significant other your children hopefully you do take responsibility for their safety and well being you will develop power in yourself and that 's how you get out of this idea that i 'm this like boy who can only feed himself at best or depend on other people to becoming a man or the father nature where like, it's not about me anymore. It's about uh, making sure that everyone in my care is okay. Um, And, you know, uh, I talk about this in the archetype class when we speak about dominance or consensual dominance. Um, I think a lot of people have this aversion to power, uh, this aversion to responsibility, and I think, you know, people can uh, justify it as like, oh, you know, there's, there's all this like unconsensual domination. Of course, unconsensual domination is terrible. Um, you shouldn't force, I mean, that's what a tyrant is. That's not what a king, you know, when we talk about king archetype, we're not talking about tyranny. Um, uh, but you're actually giving people, you're doing people a service when you help Uh, direct them and take responsibility. This comes up a lot in masculine, feminine, sexually polarized relationships where when someone is in their feminine, man or woman, when they're in their more oxytocin, serotonin-driven mode, they don't want to have to make decisions. If you step into the masculine archetype, into the king nature, the father nature, and make decisions for people and make sure you're you're the one looking out for their well-being, they get to relax. It's a gift you give your children. It's a gift you give your girlfriend or or your wife if she's in that mode and she wants it. And the thing that I want everyone to understand um, is that uh, when you are actually responsible, like when you're taking responsibility, but you're actually, you know, people people can count on you to guide them well, to protect them well, to provide well, they actually want to give you more responsibility because you're giving them a gift by serving them in a way where they don't have to worry about what's on the outside. You know, um, I, saw, I spoke about this a lot in my cult episode, one of the... One of the most like soul-nourishing things about being in the cult, even though there's a lot of negative things, like one of the things that was really lovely and allowed like a lot of like my childhood wounds to heal in that environment was the fact that I was in such a safe container where anything goes that I didn't have to worry about the outside. I didn't have to worry about money. I didn't have to worry about purpose. I didn't have to worry about social ostracization. All of those external things were cared for so I could really go inward and see what was best for myself because I knew that I was safe. I mean part of it was an illusion, part of it was artificial, but I had that perception, which did the same trick. And um, yeah, you know, I, when I spoke about the making your bed thing. A lot of people, a lot of guys who feel beta or they feel like sheep, um, they don't even take responsibility for their own lives. So how could they possibly take responsibility for other, another's life? And that, that's like, it goes back down to if someone feels like, oh, I can't possibly be a parent. That seems ridiculous to be a parent. I'd say it comes down to that life. Like, well, first take responsibility for everything that's given to you, which is, should be your own life, you know? Stop relying on other people, um, you know? Get out of your mom's basement, do something that you don't have to rely on other people, stop being a dependent, and then allow people to slowly depend on you in different ways, and you will feel that, um, you'll feel like your backbone develops. Uh, and I'll end with this idea. Well, one thing from, um, I interviewed Lieutenant Colonel Dan Grossman who wrote the book On Killing, it's a very influential book in my life, um, and he has this idea of like there 's three ch- kinds of people in society there 's the sheep, sheep or sheep, they go along with things they, they don 't really take responsibility or they, they they need to be guided and they don't they can 't protect themselves because there's some people in the world who are wolves. The wolves take advantage of the sheep, they eat the sheep, they terrorize the sheep. Um, but then there are the sheep dogs, and the sheep dogs protect the sheep. The sheep dogs are as badass they 're as capable of violence and they have the same strength of the wolf. But different than the wolf, instead of using it for selfish motivation, they use it to protect the sheep from the from the wolves and uh and this is, comes down to like the same idea that we 're talking about here. The sheep dogs are the king or the fathers who are who are, have developed the strength and capacity for dealing with the world in a way that they can fight off the 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 wolves, which are the vandals, which are the the tyrants which are which is scar and the lion king the the ones who' have developed personal power but for selfish gain to it's, it's misplaced power, essentially, um, and uh, they can protect all the, the people who are sheep because they haven't expressed themselves or they're literal children or they're in a role in the in the collective, whether it's a family or tribe or team, where they're not the ones looking on the outside. Um, and the, the very last thing I'll say is um, for someone, I've you know, I, I, mostly been speaking with certain people in mind, um, certain men, perhaps young men, who feel like they can't. They can't access the king part. Like maybe, maybe they've gotten good at dating, and they can access the lover. And maybe they've experienced some levels of competency, and they can access the warrior in their life. Like they can, but they have this crisis. Or people who like are even uh, beneath that, where they they view themselves as like a beta male, or they're low status, or they don't get respect. You know, all of this comes down to what we're classifying as the king archetype. And Um, No matter what level, like, you know, some of this may seem like very, you know, obvious or some of it might seem beyond you or everyone's at a different level. Uh, Always take care, deal with what is within your realm of control. I mean, something I talk about with social anxiety, like if going up to an attractive stranger and speaking you know, you, you don't have control, like your body shuts down, you start blinking, you start stuttering, uh, your legs start shaking. Or I mean, you see this a lot when people, um, try public speaking, you know, they get really uncomfortable. They, you know, they start stuttering, they, they, they spaz out, they, they can't control their body. Okay. Maybe that's beyond your realm of control. Don't, uh, don't get hard on yourself for, you know, uh, for whatever happened there. Or, you know, a lot of guys, you know, because of my arousal control program, a lot of guys. Uh, you know, they reach out to me not knowing how to deal with Well, I I, see, I keep coming too soon and I feel shitty. It like, don't feel shitty. Like, let's, let's just assume that for right now, that's beyond your realm of control, right? Because the, the idea behind the king archetype is that there is a realm you preside over. Maybe that realm is just like you and your life and your, your bedroom. Like that is your realm and that's it. Take care of everything you can control with that realm. To so go back to the social anxiety thing, like, okay, maybe you can't, you just can't make yourself make eye contact with someone who's attractive or confident or intimidating. But you can, you, there's a realm of control where you actually can control like whether or not you leave the house, whether or not you walk up to someone and try to speak to them. Like, that's within your realm of control. Just do that. If you max that out, eventually your realm of control will get a little bigger. right? Um, I was, uh, I've been coaching a guy who has a lot of social anxiety. Uh, approaching a woman and speaking to her is a little too hard. Maybe your realm of control is getting out of the house and saying hi to people. I and mean, that's like a fearless exercise. Um, there's something within what you can control and do all of that because eventually your realm will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you want to keep growing, make sure you're pushing the edges of that realm. Maybe it starts with you know, taking care of your bedroom or taking care of your personal finances or, or uh, showing up to work today um, or... or um, do I mean maybe you have like a, an emotional pattern because of past things where you always get angry in situations with your girlfriend? Like it just it's like you go unconscious and you can't control it. There is something you can control before that point. Do everything you can up until that point where you lose control. Eventually it'll get bigger and it'll get bigger and get bigger. And as you take more responsibility for things, we take things on yourself as opposed to blaming the outside. You become less dependent on the outside, and people can depend on you. And the root of all of this is. Uh, To become a fully self-actualized, happy individual, you have to be able to express this archetype as well, among others. But this is a critical one where I think a lot of men in our society kind of fall short because the the internet and all that stuff I mentioned kind of keep us as preteens in our mind or in our perception. So that was that. This is the first episode in a while. Um, I'm going to try to get back on a regular schedule Soon we have some great podcasts coming up. The one that's being published on Thursday is Dr. Harrison Schultz. Um, if you want to watch these live and participate live and, um, you know, have great discussions on masculinity and all this stuff that maybe you can't discuss otherwise, uh, elsewhere, I should say, make sure to join the masculine Underground group on Facebook. Just search masculine Underground or type into your browser forum.masculineunderground.com. Uh, I'm Ruan. You probably know that already. And that's all. Enjoy. Enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye.